But Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he calls us chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Last week we were thinking about being chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We're giving us a sense of identity, beauty, security, and responsibility. So we're going to move on from being who we are, from knowing who we are, sorry, to being who we are. We are chosen people, let's live like it. We are royal priesthood, let's live like it. So this is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. We are a holy nation, so let's live as if we were. We are a people belonging to God. Let it be so. If all this is true about us, and by the grace of God it is, then we are people who have been and are being transformed. The context of this letter is to Christians who are suffering for their faith. Many of them would have been fairly new Christians and the experience of being persecuted just for what you believe was a fresh one for them and Peter is writing to them to encourage them to see suffering not as something to be avoided but something to be experienced as a follower of Jesus but to be seen in the context of Christ's suffering and at resurrection. So someone's pointed out that he never speaks about Jesus dying for us, he talks about Jesus suffering for us. The overflow of our lives will then show something of God's handiwork at every level. So to say we are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light is in one sense simply to say be who you are. Be who you are. If God is doing something in your life, let it show. If God is bringing bring transformation in your life, let it show. That's what Peter's saying here. Speak out. Show out the praises of him who's changed your life. You don't have to tell that to a girl who's just announced her engagement to her beloved fiancé. You don't have to say, oh, by the way, you have to go and tell everyone you like that you are now engaged. She will do automatically because something has been transformed in her. Someone's asked her to marry her, him and she is overwhelmed by it and it comes out as a natural overflow. And what is Peter saying? Is This is who you are, so let who you are overflow. It does not mean we all become fluent evangelists. If you're that kind of person, you will become a fluent evangelist. But that's not, the mean, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, let it show. If there's nothing about our life that is different since before we became Christians and after our Christians, then there's something wrong here. We became Christians on a Sunday morning. Well, actually, it was a Monday morning, about half past 12 at night, uh, in the early hours. And we went to church the next Sunday, not having spoken to anyone in that church. We'd only been going to the church about three months in this time. And as I went in, the pastor was in the vestibule and I went up to him and I said, uh, can I have a word with you afterwards? He said, sure, something's happened, hasn't it? I said, how do you know? He said, I can see it. I can see it in your face. You're different. And he hardly knew me, but he could see a difference. And I guess it's true for all of us at that moment when the, tr the truth suddenly dawned. What Peter's saying, continue, 
to let it flow. How do the people all around us get their view of God? Well, they could get it from other non-Christians, not a reliable source, but they could do. The media would be a large uh, source of those things, and it's hardly reliable. Often God's representatives in the media are weak and frail people, aren't they? Who are shown in a sort of mocking kind of way. They could get their view of God from creation. That's what Paul says, you can do it. It's okay as far as it goes. It won't lead you into a personal relationship with God himself, but it will tell you something about God. It's okay as far as it goes. People get their view from the Bible, but of course that's an essential for Christians, but for non-Christians, even if they've got it on their shelves, the chances are they're not reading it. So where do they get their view of God from? I'll tell you where they mostly get it from. You and me. Your view of the French people is picked up from the French people you know. Your view of scientists is picked up from the scientists you know. People's view of God is picked up from God's people. You and me. Is that a big burden to bear? What kind of God does my neighbour think I worship? What kind of neighbour does my work colleague imagine I worship? So how we reveal God to other people is very important because God's reputation is on the line. Here's just a few easy ways to think about how we reveal God to our neighbours. We reveal him simply by our presence in the community. Jesus came to show us the Father. If you've seen me, he says to Philip, you've seen the Father. Incarnation is all about God revealing himself by coming and dwelling among us. If Christians are those who hide ourselves away in caves and become hermits, how will the world ever see anything of God's people? It will be impossible. So simply by being in the community is very important. Ichthus Church, I understand, in 1979 was so concerned about the exodus of Christians from the South London area into the suburbs, they made a pledge there and then to set up a church that would bring Christians back into those southern London places to establish again congregations where God's people can be seen, to reintroduce a Christian presence in the community, and they've been going ever since then. Ups and downs but mostly successfully. Mega churches have their place and we praise God for them, but in the end, it is the little local church in the local community which really does manifest the presence of God in a way that allows other people's lives to change. Of course the mega churches have their places, but they often draw over a huge area. But where you've got a small group of people who live in the area, often work in the area, and certain worship in the area, there's power there. And we need the power of the Spirit to serve sacrificially because this is what we're looking at. Incarnation is all about serving the community, serving people for Christ's sake. This is all about service, not about power. It's all about service. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And many of you are involved in the community of Hurstman Zoo. You serve the community or its outlying sort of satellites, if you like, in all sorts of ways. And that's a powerful way of manifesting the presence of God. What kind of God is the question you're asking yourself? Would this person imagine I worship? 
What kind of God? So we must be visible, we must be accessible, we must be available, we must be involved. Our homes, our streets, our neighbourhoods are blessed places because we live here. So never underestimate the power of the presence of God. Then we live out what we profess to believe. Jesus said he came to do the will of God. That's all he came to do. I come to do your will, he said. For us it means that we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness in every arena of life. Not just the spiritual bits that we might think of. That we put prayer meetings at the top of our agenda and celebrations. Of course that would be important. But every area of life. Milking cows to the glory of God, is that possible? Well the Bible would say yes it is. It is. We can do everything to the glory of God. Serving people's stamps over a post office counter to the glory of God? Yes, it is. I got my petrol yesterday from a garage not too far from here. The guy was so stressed. There was a queue. He was so stressed. I could, Everything about him was really stressed. And I was thinking as I might, the queue moved forward, how do I relieve the stress? I couldn't think of a way. And I thought, if I engage him in conversation, say something restful, he's just going to get more stressed because the queue's behind me. And I went out praying for him. But I'm thinking... He was such a stressed guy. Every area of life needs people who can manifest something of the presence of God. I didn't know quite how to do it there, but I left with a prayer. Lord, that man needs you at this moment in time. I don't know how to help him, Lord. I don't want to create more problems for him, but I want you to come alongside. I've no idea what happens. I go out feeling, oh, I didn't do the right thing, but you know what it's like, don't you? But thinking God is in that petrol station, God cares about this interaction. God cares about this guy doing his routine. And what a difference would be if that man was a, a Christian restfully, actually serving people who are stressed people in a way that manifested the grace of God, if the boot had been on the other foot. How can I be the kind of neighbor who lives life to the glory of God and my neighbors praise the Lord for my presence? We hear lots about neighbors from hell. How about being neighbors from heaven? We have a neighbour who's so lovely, he's now not able to do it. When we were first there, we've been there for sort of 20 odd years now. When we were first there, she would apologise sometimes when we were out and there was washing on the line and the rain came. She would apologise for not bringing in our washing. Because she would do that. If it rained, she'd go and bring it in, take it into her house and dry it out and then present Lynn with this basket of dry washing. That's the kind of neighbour she is. You just praise the Lord for that kind of neighbour, don't you? Just a small thing, but it just changes life, doesn't it? How can I drive my car to the glory of God? Not rammed up behind the person in front who's such a frustration, not shaking my fist and tooting my horn, but actually driving in some way that doesn't interfere with other people, but blesses them. How can I serve my customers to the glory of God? What sort of God does my work colleague imagine I worship when I'm at work? What kind of God would the tax man imagine I worship when he reads my tax return? Practical ways, living out what we say we, we profess. Everything we say, words have enormous power. So by making our speech consistent with the word of God, words have huge power. How many times do you pick up in the day a telephone to speak to someone you've never met before? And you have the invitation. So is it worth just saying, Lord, before I pick up this phone, May my words be full of grace. Even if it's someone trying to sell me something 
or someone alleging I've got a Microsoft and he's going to resolve it from a distance like in India and I don't really want to talk to him, Lord. But is someone trying to do a job? How do I act in grace? How do I speak into his life words that are not cross, angry, short, but words of grace, words of life? I really don't have time to talk to you this morning, but thank you for your call. I understand it's hard to speak at a distance, but I really don't have your time, so I apologise. I'm going to have to put the phone down, but I ask that God will give you a good day today. I don't know how you say it. I'm not proposing, that's a suggestion. I know one man who engages them in conversation. He says, and they're, they're paying for the call. I'll pick as long as they want to, because they're paying for the call, and he will keep them in conversation. Maybe he hasn't got much else to do. I don't know. But speaking the truth in every circumstance. I know of at least one accountant who was asked to fiddle the books in his small firm, and he said, I can't do that. I can't do that. So he was sacked twice from two companies in the age of 50. It was a serious matter. But he said, I can't do that. I have to speak the truth. I have to do the truth. And it cost him his job twice. Sometimes it can be costly. Speaking the truth in love so as to build up those who hear. So may my heart be so full of the word of God so that when I speak, it is the word of God that informs my speech. I want to say things that build people up, don't crush them. How many people do you see that flinch when other people speak to them because they're expecting words of condemnation, judgment, hatred, even violence? It's not about me getting something off my chest. You know, the world is longing for people who are just going to listen, not listen for a break in the conversation so I can put in what I want to put in, but actually genuinely listening to the person and giving them that time. I still remember this time around about Christmas when I was in a queue, I think it was Asda, I don't know, one of these supermarkets, and the girl at the front was having a terrible time trying to get something to fix. The, the, the card wasn't working in the reader. And she was getting all flustered and worked up. And all this little queue was developing, and I was about three or four back, and the guy in front of me was an older man, probably in his 80s. And he turned around to me frustrated. <laughs> he said something sort of short-tempered like that. And I said, well, I'm not in a hurry. It doesn't matter to me. I'm all right. And he turned around like that. And then he turned around to me again. And, he's, and then he gave me his life history in three minutes. He did. He, got, he was telling me all about the war and everything else. And I'm thinking, where's this coming from? And I looked on his counter and he had a single this and a little pint of milk. And I thought, this guy is going to have Christmas on his own. He's going to have no one to talk to. I stood there and said something to him that invited him to talk to me. And I thought, well, I'm not in a hurry. And I listened. It was probably longer than that, by which time the queue at the front had disappeared, <laughs> gone. We had a big acreage there, and he's still talking to me, and the girl at the counter's whew, having a two minutes rest while we had this conversation. But he had no one to talk to. Because no one has time for old people who just want to share their lives, do they? So sometimes speech involves listening more than speaking. So that person sitting on that bench as you walk by may be a person living on their own and they're just hoping that someone at some point will say, good morning, how are you? How are you? It's just doing little things. I was in a shopping area in Wakefield of all places and there's these two young people, you know, doing the normal thing about trying to collar people for things, you know, like the charities, you know, and everyone's avoiding them. 
And they collared me and I said, I really haven't got time for this. So I'm sorry, but I hope you have a good day. I went away feeling so bad. I went into Costa, got a cup of coffee, went back and said, look, I saw I can't talk to you, but I can give you a cup of coffees. They nearly hugged me. But it's just trying to find ways, isn't it? Of making our lives connect with others in a way that builds them up, not knocks them down. And of course, by our powerful works, Jesus was always doing wonderful things in people's lives. Never underestimate the power of God to say something to you, to say, why don't you pray for this person? Um, I'm a Christian, and when people tell us things aren't very good, we usually pray for it. Would you mind if I pray for you? Two guys were doing door-to-door work in a city, I think it was Birmingham or somewhere, they told me the story, from the church. And they were going to the door-to-door and saying, we're from St. Peter's Church, and we'd like to tell you about Jesus. Slam door. We're from St. Peter's Church, and we'd like to tell you about Jesus. Slam door, slam door, slam door, slam door. No one would talk to them. So they said, why don't we change the tack and ask if people want us to pray for them? So they did. So they went and said, we're from St. Peter's Church, and we just wondered, is there anything we could pray for about you? Come on in, said the person. And they had a five-minute conversation and prayed. Went there. Next door. Is there anything we can pray for? Come on in. And come on in. And come on in. They said, this is extraordinary. Is it a coincidence? We're from St. Peter's Church, and we want to talk about Jesus. Slam door. Slam door. Slam door. But the moment they invited, they said, not a single person said no. It was extraordinary. Now, I'm not suggesting that is the case all over the place, but it seems that people are more open to that than we might guess. So when your work colleague or your neighbour next suggests that something's going wrong in their life, you may be surprised if you were to offer, well, I could pray because I believe God hears prayer. You may find them saying, I'd be happy for you to do that if you wouldn't mind. Who knows? Because God wants to involve those people, doesn't he? If you look at the New Testament, you find where Jesus did most of his miracles was in the street, outside, to non-Christians. Doesn't it? Some of whom just never came back and even said thank you. But actually, there was no strings attached. It was to them. It was a manifestation of the kingdom of God. So never be surprised if God is going to say something to you. Like that. A friend of mine was at a concert. Oh, sorry, a Christian gathering and in the middle of the time they had lunch, so he went out onto the veranda and had his, had his picnic lunch and he said, while, while he's sitting there, he said, Lord, is there anything you want to say to me? And into his mind immediately came a treble clef sign, you know, one of those things at the beginning of a bar of music for musicians. And, he's, and he thought God was talking to him about the way he sings bass in all the songs and maybe it's not a good idea. And then he suddenly realised it wasn't a bass clef, it was a treble clef. And uh, is this for me, Lord, or not for me? And he looked along, and a little further along on the bench is a guy sitting down on his own. There's just the two of them there. So he wanders over to him and said, um, I'm a Christian, and I, you know, I talk to God a bit, and he sometimes speaks to me, and I just have this feeling about music. And he just expressed that to this guy, who immediately burst into tears. It was an issue this guy was relating to. And for my friend to say, God, has told me about your musical problem. Just broke this guy down. You never know, do you? You really don't know. He wasn't looking for opportunities to minister. He's just wanting to be one of those chosen people who wants to offer praise to God in every circumstance.
So we can declare the praises of him who calls us out of darkness just by our presence in the community, making visible the presence of Christ, by living out what we profess to believe that shows the transforming power of the gospel in every circumstance, by ensuring that everything we say is consistent with God's truth, and by the things that God's Spirit may want to do through us that testify to the presence of God's kingdom. This is what we are then, my friends. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And this is what we should be like, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Father, may this week bring you pleasure and joy as we, transformed by your love, receiving the food, the spiritual food that you offer to us as we seek to live out what you're doing in our lives. To the blessing of others and to the glory of your name. Amen.